Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. We began our study of the magnificent epistle last week, largely just doing introduction, overview, outline. This morning we'll begin to actually dive into some of the meat of the text. Specifically, we'll begin a study of one amazing, magnificent sentence. Verses 3 through 14 in Greek is one apostolic sentence. It will take us a number of weeks to get through this sentence. It is so rich. In this um, sentence, in these 11 verses, our salvation is described, extolled. All the members of the Trinity are seen to be active. God's great and ultimate purposes are expounded. It is rich, rich material. This morning, my goal is to look at it as a whole, to draw some observations from the entirety of it before we go in. You see the forest as we then in the coming weeks go and see the individual trees. So I'd like to begin by reading Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and then we will begin. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Oh Lord God, what riches of grace you have lavished upon us. And as the Apostle Paul turns his attention to many of them, help us to see them. Help us also to be amazed by them. Help us also to respond that you are blessed and may you be blessed forever for these wondrous and good things that you have done. Lord, um, I pray that you would give understanding and insight as we behold glory in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, You can describe this sentence, these paragraphs, in a number of ways. Um, I think probably the most simple would simply be to call it a eulogy. The problem is calling it a eulogy will greatly make you misunderstand it. A eulogy is literally what the first word in the Greek is, blessed to speak well of, may someone be spoken well of, which is why we give a eulogy, we speak of the good things of someone's life at a funeral. 
It appears as though Paul is just bursting forth with spontaneous praise. Something is welling up within him and overflowing. God must be spoken well of. He must be praised because of, and he goes into it. Um, this, this is, there's no, there's, no, there's no commands of application. He's just pouring out the glories of God in the gospel for us. So I'd like to begin this morning, um, we're going to look at four points as we look at the bird's eye view of this passage, of just the structure of it. As we go for three more weeks through it, how will we go through it? Um, and what Paul basically has as an overarching theme is that God is to be blessed. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is to be blessed, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then he's going to begin to unpack some of those spiritual blessings. So the overarching thought is God must be blessed, extolled, praised, because in Christ he has given us so many blessings, every spiritual blessing. And then he begins to enumerate some of those that he has on his mind. So in the first section, verses 3 through 6, you're blank here. Blessed be God the Father for his grace in predestining us for adoption in Christ. Look at that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him from the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the overarching theme of that first, in English we can make it a paragraph, although it's still part of one sentence, is blessed be God for choosing, for predestining us. That's the first grace or blessing Paul's going to look at. And we'll, you can easily see, I hope, how we could spend an entire week, we, God willing, will spend next week, just looking at those few verses. God's grace seen in his choosing of us, his predestining us for adoption. There's plenty of there for us to sink our teeth into. And God willing, next week, that's exactly what we'll do. Then, in verses 7 through 10, blessed be the, God the Father for his grace in redeeming us in Christ. So the first section focuses on God's choosing and predestining of his children. Next, his redeeming of them in Christ. In him, and that in him phrase is what's going to mark off the next three divisions. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So it begins with choosing and predestining, moves into the actual application, our redemption, our forgiveness. And that's the focus, along with God's purpose in, in exalting and uniting all things in Christ, is in that next section. We'll spend... Sunday, God willing, focusing on that. And we could easily spend many Sundays focusing on the redemption, the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ, and God's plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth in him. Then, in verse 11 and 12, our next section, again, starting with in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And here... Blessed be God the Father for his grace in our inheritance in Christ. 
In the first section, he predestined us. Then we saw that he redeemed us. And here he predestined us. Now, instead of looking at the means, we look at the end. And the end of that choice is our glorious inheritance with him. And then finally, in verses 13 and 14, again, beginning in him, we read, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So God is to be blessed for his grace in sealing us with the Holy Spirit. And these are just some of the all spiritual blessings that we've been given. This is the topic of Paul's mind. It is a rich text. God willing, we'll look at those last two points, um, C and D, 11 through 14, in one Sunday as well. So three weeks ahead of us, one looking at God's grace in predestining us for adoption in Christ. Then a Sunday, God's grace in redeeming us in Christ. And then a Sunday for God's grace in our inheritance in Christ and for sealing us with the Holy Spirit in Christ. That's, that's a map of where we're going for the next three weeks. And I, I hope you can see there's plenty of material here to, to unpack. But one of the things I want to do this morning is look at the sentence in its entirety. It is, after all, one sentence. And one of the things that can make it challenging is the use, extensive use, of pronouns. A pronoun is a, is a part of speech, one of the seven parts of speech, and it's a word that replaces a noun. So if I say, I went to the store with Tom and he said to me, he, in that second sentence, has replaced Tom. I could have said I went to the store with Tom and Tom said to me, but it starts sounding redundant. So we, for economy of speech, will swap in pronouns. They're helpful. They smooth things out. However, in a passage where every member of the Trinity is at work, it can be difficult to figure out who he in any given spot is. In fact, um, I didn't set out to do an overview message, but as I tried to first track the use of the pronouns in this passage, um, things emerged that I thought were glorious and, and wonderful and encouraging. So if you could dim the lights, please. I'm going to do one of the things I rarely do. I'm going to point with power. Um, and uh, all right, okay, there we go. All right. Um, there is the sentence. Um, hopefully you can see that. This PowerPoint, by the way, I'm going to try to post on the Sermon Archive site in the same place where the sermon is. So if you want to download it, I'll make it freely available. There's our sentence. And let me give you an example of some of the difficult pronouns to track. So we've got, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, that seems pretty clearly the Father, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, and then here we get to our first somewhat tricky one, he chose us in him. Who, who does he refer to? Who does him refer to? And I think that's relatively easy, that he would be the Father and the hymn would be Jesus. But as you work through this, there are one or two that are a little trickier. So what I want to do now is look at this whole section and focus in each of the subsections on the different members of the Trinity's action in this. It's, it's pretty remarkable, okay? So our first focus is going to be on God the Father. God the Father's activity in our salvation. The Trinitarian activity of our salvation, God the Father. And here, as best as I can figure it out, is, there we go, every reference to the Father. So let's read through this, see if that makes sense. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, there's one example where it becomes really clear. Because Jesus is in this sentence, Jesus then is not the he predestined to himself through Jesus. We know that's the Father. And so some of these, as you start working through them, become clearer that that's the Father's activity. Um, According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, he has blessed us with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood. Now, that's got to be Jesus because we know who his blood is. So that him then has got to be Jesus. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's probably the most debatable one in the whole passage right there. Uh, But I I think you'll see that it's got to be the Father we're referring to. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I, think, I think that's right. And I want you to notice some, uh, some interesting characteristics of the Father's activity. Notice how much the Father is active in this passage. But I think some patterns emerge. And what we see is that in this passage, the Father acts, owns, and directs. The Father acts, owns, and directs. In other words, the statements attributed to the Father are either verbs, he blessed, he chose, he predestined, or they're attributes or things belonging to the Father. We're speaking of his will, his glorious grace, his grace, his will, his purpose, his purpose, his will, his glory, His glory. And so the Father is seen as the one acting, and the Father is seen as the source or the the owner of most of these attributes, and it's directed according to his will. So that's the Father's activity as Paul takes this look at our salvation. He's seeing the Father as the primary actor. The Father is the one who owns or to whom things belong, and the Father is the one who directs. Okay, so that's the father. Oh, there's the verbs of what he does, his actions. And again, even as we look at these actions, we can begin to see some reason why this praise is overflowing. Because what's the father doing? He is blessed. He chose. He predestined. He blessed. He lavished. He made known. He set forth. He works. These are all various evidences of that blessing and grace that Paul is overflowing in praise for. It's the Father's activity in our salvation. So now, alongside of that then, that helps, I think, clarify the Son's activity. The Father and the Son are the two primary members of the Trinity spoken of in this passage. So alongside of the Father, now let's take a look at the Son. Again, my best guess, but I think these these are all pretty accurate. And here we go. Blessed be the God and Father, and this time I'll read it emphasizing on Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I take that to be a reference to Jesus. He's blessed us in Jesus, who is the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all Wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of all time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven, things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, do you notice another word that almost in every instance occurs right before a reference to Jesus? It's a preposition. It's the word in. You see that? In him, in Christ, in him. There is one through Jesus. But in nearly every reference, what you get is in him. And what that means then is as Paul's framing this, his focus is the Father's acting, the Father's owning and directing. But Jesus Christ himself becomes the location or sphere of action. Now, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't act. He, he dies on the cross for our sins. But as Paul frames it in this sentence, as Paul speaks about it here, Jesus is primarily viewed as the sphere or the location of activity. So we read that in him, we are blessed. In him, we have been chosen. In him, we have been predestined for adoption. We've been blessed in him. There's a redemption in him. God set forth his will in him. God is intent on uniting all things in him. Our inheritance is in him. We hope in him. We believe in him. We've been sealed in him. And so as we're looking at the Trinitarian working of our salvation, Paul is seeing the Father is active The Father is planning, directing, predestining, blessing, adopting. But he's doing all of this activity in his Son, in Christ. It's taking place in him. One of the themes we'll see in the book of Ephesians is this notion of union with Christ. Union with Christ. That precisely because we are his body, we are united to him. We were baptized by the Spirit into him into his body. That is how we receive the blessings. How do you and I receive forgivenesses of our sins? We receive it being united to Christ. How do we receive an adoption as sons? We receive it being united or in him. And that's the emphasis here of Paul. So the father is acting. He owns. He directs. The Lord Jesus Christ is the location or sphere of actions, as Paul's framing. Now, certainly, we could speak of our salvation where Jesus is seen as very active. This isn't to deny Jesus is active. But as Paul frames it here, the Father is the primary actor, and the Son is the sphere, the location of action. Okay? So now, let's take a look at 
the activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, admittedly, has a much lesser presence in this eulogy, in this sentence, but nonetheless, he is present and active. And he shows up towards the end in verse um, 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit's role then is to seal us and to guarantee something. Or as I want to put it, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He applies and attests to our salvation. And again, I think as we read through Ephesians, we'll see it as the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity who actually applies salvation to us. How are you and I united to Christ? We're united by faith, but through the Holy Spirit's baptizing us into him, immersing us into him, uniting us to him. And so Paul speaks of and envisions the Holy Spirit as a seal and as a guarantee, someone who testifies. How do we know our salvation is real? It's the testimony of the Holy Spirit. How do we know we've been united to Christ? Because we have a seal, we have a guarantee until we receive the rest of our blessings. So then Paul is envisioning then, to sum this section up, our entire salvation as a work of the Father accomplished in Christ and applied by the Spirit. So just just pause and, and, and wonder for a moment. Paul is overflowing with praise to God as he sees every member of the Godhead diligently at work from before eternity looking forward to eternity future when you and I acquire possession of our inheritance in saving and redeeming us. I mean, this, this is wonderful truth. Wonderful truth. Every member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, is active and involved in our salvation. Okay, so that's the Trinitarian activity in our salvation. Next, I'd like to take a look at our activity in our salvation because we show up in this passage a good deal as well. We do. But again, the pattern becomes striking. And part of why I want to look at this is you take seeing every instance of in him and in him and in him and his, 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 and you start seeing, wow, there is some consistency there. A lot of things are happening in Christ. The Father's doing a lot of things. A lot of things belong to the Father. Well, now we're going to see us show up, and here we are. And so what we get, I'll just read it from my sheet here as opposed to turning my back to you all is, uh, let's just read through it again. This time I'll emphasize our involvement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise of his glory. Now, we show up a good deal here, but what's notable is in nearly every instance, we are acted upon. In nearly every instance, we are acted upon, or to use the grammatical categories, we are passive. So we are blessed. You and I are blessed. The blessing is being done to us. We receive the action of the verb. We are acted upon, blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have been chosen to be holy and blameless before him. We have been predestined for adoption. We've been blessed with his grace. We have redemption. Now, that's technically an active verb. But clearly, in the concept of this passage, it's passive. We've been given this thing that we now have. We didn't go out and get a salvation for ourselves. It was given to us. So even though we have, it's technically an active verb. The concept is entirely passive. We've been given something that we now possess. We have redemption. He has lavished us with grace. He has made known to us his will. We have obtained an inheritance. Same concept as have redemption. It's been given to us. Predestined to the praise of his grace. Heard the word of truth. Believed in him. Were sealed and will acquire an inheritance. And again, that's passive. It's going to be given to us. It's not someday in the future you and I are going to go out and win for ourselves an inheritance. No, rather, it will be given to us. There is one striking and notable exception. Out of all these passive verbs, perhaps you already saw it, there is one active verb. And I think it's remarkable that even in this passage, we are still said to do one thing. It's, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? Out of all these passive concepts, nevertheless, even in a context of predestination and election and that the Godhead at work so fully, Make no mistake, you and I had to hear, had to pay heed, had to listen to the word of truth, and you and I believed. I think that's remarkable. Even in here, in principle, is salvation by grace through faith. Even as we see the Father blessing us and pouring out blessings and choosing and predestining and lavishing and making known and all these other things, make no mistake, that does not nullify or counsel out the reality and the necessity that you and I hear the word and you and I believe in him. And that's present here as well. No one can believe for you. And no one can pay heed to God's word for you. And again, I see this remarkable that jumps out. And all that list of things done to us, we do one thing. We hear, we believe. And there it is. We have heard and believed in him. We have heard and believed in him. So now... What little time we have left, I want to look at God's purpose statements. I'm going to use the same fourfold division I suggested at the beginning. We've seen the Father's work in saving. We've seen the great lengths and the activity that he has gone to. And we've focused our attention on the grace that is given to us. And we've seen the Son's activity as the place where things happen. And we've seen the Holy Spirit's role in applying and attesting to our salvation. But God has also put into this sentence, Paul has put into this sentence, purpose statements. 
And I want to look at them each. There's five of them in the four sections. Okay, purpose statements. Why? What is God's goal in all of this? What is his um, ultimate plan, his purpose, his telos? Well, let's take a look at it one at a time. Here's your first section. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And here's your first purpose statement, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So your first blank, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Let's pause there. Um, God has other purposes as well. And, and you'll see that he has great purposes in our salvation. And sometimes when we hear that, we can be tempted to think, well, if you had other things you were doing, I guess you weren't really that concerned about me. When we hear things like God's concerned about his glory or God is concerned with, with uniting all things in Christ, we can think that means less for us. That's not true. Absolutely, in this passage, God's goal in salvation is not his only goal. God's goal in salvation is to get you and me before him in his presence in a condition fit to be in his presence, that we could be face-to-face before him Holy and blameless. That's God's goal in our salvation. It's absolutely true. There it is. It's just not the only goal. Okay? So you and I factor absolutely into God's plans, God's purposes. He wants his sons and daughters adopted through Christ. He wants them in his presence before him, holy and blameless. And he accomplished and he worked all of this salvation to that end. Just not to that end alone. Okay? Continue reading. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the second purpose of his predestining and choosing us is to the praise of his glorious grace. He wants both. He wants his sons and daughters before him, holy and blameless, and he wants them praising his name. Both are his desires. These are the goals, the purpose of our salvation. So let's look at then the next unit of the text. There we go. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. What is that plan, Paul? To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. To unite all things in Christ is his goal. And they're all working together. Our God is so wise, so powerful, that he can accomplish a million and one things in his actions and his deeds. We're looking at five things. He, in our salvation, in this plan that began before time and continues on into eternity, he was intent, he was set on bringing his sons and his daughters into his presence in a holy and blameless condition. He was set and intent on them praising him. He is also set and intent on glorifying his son and in his son redeeming and reconciling the world. We know in Romans 8 that through the resurrection of Christ, not only is our own resurrection guaranteed, but the current creation groans, is eagerly awaiting its redemption. That in Christ and in this salvation that God has planned and brought about, not only will we be redeemed, but the 
created order. Christ will unify. Christ will unite all things in himself. And that too is God's great plan. You could frame the story of redemption as a proud father wanting to exalt and put on display his son in whom he takes great pleasure. That as well is a purpose. This is all wrapped up in our salvation. This is, this is one of the reasons I want to look at this whole passage in its entirety to see all that's going on. I mean, you begin to see how Paul can just bubble up and overflow with praise. God is saving us and bringing us into his presence. God is securing for himself praise. God is exalting his son whom he plans to unite all things together in. But we're not done. Next section. We read, In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then you get that so what? So that, whenever you see those so that's, you're getting purpose statements, goals. And the purpose here is to the praise of his glory which is the identical purpose given in the last two verses. Read them. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, let's take a look at these five purposes that show up in this one sentence. I mean, this Paul writes a sentence where the father is doing about 15 things. The son is having things done in him and through him. These per- it's just a rich sentence. So we saw in verse 4, God's purpose that, he, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Um, also, he's worked this salvation to the praise of his glorious grace. He is intent to unite all things together in Christ. And he has done these things to the praise of his glory Again, to the praise of his glory. So I just want to stand back and note that God is accomplishing many things. Now, what's the one thing that happens three times? The praise of his glory. And so if you press me, God's ultimate goal is the glorification of himself. That God had determined, the Father's determined to put himself on display, to create an audience, to, to behold him and enjoy him, and that praise would go up in, in seeing that glory. He's also intent on saving you and me and bringing us before him holy and blameless. He's intent on on uniting all things together in his son. These are the activities our God is about. All this in one sentence, which I think then explains why Paul might begin it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what, what, what application can there be to these truths. There's only one application, and it's worship. Worship. In, in light of what God has done for us, in light of his whole activity, in light of the entire Trinity diligently at work, all Paul can do is just pour out praise. And we'll look at this week by week. We'll look at predestination. We'll look at salvation. We'll look at our future inheritance and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake, this is ultimately for the glory of God. I'm going to read this paragraph one more time, this sentence one more time. I'm going to call the worship team up and we'll close in song, but read with me. Blessed be, oh, let me get up on the screen. Or not. Okay, whatever. 
We're done. Blessed be, you got Bibles. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Apostle Paul is just overflowing the praise for God. But before I call the worship team up, I would remind you, out of all these things done to us, we are not entirely passive. These blessings are for a limited sect, a limited few. Look at verse 13. Where the limiting qualifier is placed. In him, you also, when you heard, you're hearing now, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. I said before, no one can do that for you. These blessings that we're going to spend three weeks looking at are only to those who believe in him. Only to those who have heard the gospel and responded in faith. And so I would be remiss if I did not pause even now and invite you call upon you to hear God's word, to see his salvation brought forth in his son, his redemption, this lavish blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing, that you would recognize your sin, that you would bow your knee to Christ, that you would turn to him from all else, that you've been building your life upon and trust in him. You too can be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You too can have an inheritance and you can read this passage knowing these things are true of you. But no one can do this for you. In a passage where all sorts of things are done to us, this is the one thing you have to do for yourself. You must believe. And we're gonna, we are going to join Paul in praising God. We're going to sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. I'd like to call the worship team up now. And we will close in song.